Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for this evening's meditation is our lection, which is recorded for us in the book of Micah, the fifth chapter, verses 2 through 5. To bring us back to this text, I'd like to read just the first verse for you once again. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, from you will go out the one who will be the ruler for me in Israel. His goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, during this Advent season, we've taken up the theme of Christmas clues as we've been investigating different passages from the Old Testament that really tell us so much concerning the Christmas event, the birth of this child. We first investigated the why, why this child would be born, a savior from sin, one to defeat the power of the devil. Last week, we especially took up the question of who, seeing that this wasn't just a human child, but also mighty God, who comes as the one who brings us his peace. And this evening, we see a passage that is closely connected to those first two. Again, we see a birth, the birth of one whose origins are from eternity. But we see more. We see a detail not contained in the rest of the prophecies concerning the Messiah, a detail that helps us with the question of where. So why is location important? It's been said if you ask a realtor, how do you determine the value of a property that a realtor is supposed to respond that it comes down to really three things. Location, location, location. And of course, it seems very redundant, doesn't it? But it emphasizes how important location is when it comes to real estate. Why? People want to live close to where they work. They want to live close to where they shop. They want to live close to their kids' schools. They don't want to live far away from those things. And most of those things you find in the city, don't you? So houses that are located very near or inside of a big city usually have far greater value than those that are in the small towns or even in the countryside. That there are many people who enjoy living in the country or even in small towns. They too could have their charm, as many say that a small town is a place that makes me feel welcome and at home, part of the community. There are many that enjoy that too. So tonight we take up the question, though, the question of where as we further investigate these Christmas clues. As far as that question goes, the answer is rather simple, isn't it? God tells us plainly in his word through the prophet Micah, in Bethlehem, Ephrathah. But why this town? Why did God choose this one out of all the towns he could have chosen in Judea, in Israel, or anywhere else in the world? He chooses Bethlehem. We don't know with certainty, absolute certainty, the why, but we do know some significant details about this place. We do know that it was the location where Rachel gave birth to Benjamin and died while she was in labor and was buried there. We also know that it was a location of military significance. The Philistines had a garrison there for a while, and Rehoboam also strengthened it as a place of defense. We also know that it was the setting for the wonderful book of Ruth that describes God's faithfulness and love for his people. But perhaps most important, most significant concerning the city is that it was the city of David. What took place there? 
You remember the account. King Saul had turned away from the one true God, and so God told his prophet, he told Samuel to go and anoint another king. So Samuel went to the home of Jesse. What happened? He lined up all of his sons in front of Samuel, and Samuel looked at the first one, and he said, wow, that looks like a man of great stature. Certainly that is the one that God wants to be king over his people. But that wasn't the one that God had chosen. And all the rest of the boys go through, and none of them are the one that God had chosen to be king. So Samuel asks, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse reluctantly mentions his youngest son, the runt of the litter. How important was he? After all, he's out taking care of the sheep while all of the important brothers are here. But it was that one, the one of very low significance that God exalts. And he has Samuel anoint to be the king in Israel. And as we well know, the Messiah was to be born from David's line. We also might consider the name Bethlehem, too. What does it mean? For those of you that have lived in the Mankato area long enough, you probably know what the name Mankato means, or maybe you don't. You probably know that the word Mankato is actually a mispronunciation of a Native American term, Makato. At least that's what many people theorize. A term meaning blue earth. The way the natives describe the soil in this area, in these parts of the country. So what does Bethlehem mean, though? What significance does, it na- does its name have? Well, it's interesting to note that in the Hebrew language, Bethlehem means house of bread. Bet, which is house, bet lechem, house of bread. What a significant name for a place that God, from which he would bring the one to shepherd his people, to provide for them, to take care of them. Yet of all the historical connections that we might make to Bethlehem, still it's rather insignificant in the big scheme of things, as far as what it's known for. If I was to mention to you the name of Hodgensville, Kentucky, what comes to mind? Hodgensville, Kentucky. Anyone? Some of you might know that Hodgensville, Kentucky is the birthplace of one of our most famous presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Probably hardly anyone knows that, right? Even though it's a very important place of someone's birth, it really has no other significance to anyone else in the country for any other reason. So also we might say when it comes to Bethlehem, maybe it deserved a few landmarks here and there. Okay, Rachel's buried here, and this is David's house where he's from, this location, but what else? After all, Bethlehem is so small, especially compared to the massive city that it's located next to just five miles out of Jerusalem. Bethlehem is not the center of the government. It has no palace. It has no temple. It has just this microscopic population. It's just a way stop on the way to the big main attraction of Jerusalem. It seems to have little or no significance. An example of this we even see in the New Testament. As the wise men come and seek out the king of the Jews as they're led by that miraculous star, Once they reach Judea, where do they go? They go to Jerusalem. They figure, well, this is where the king would be born. This is the big city. Certainly he's going to come from this place. So why does God choose this place of such seeming insignificance to be the location of the birth of 
the Messiah? Well, perhaps we can find the answer in Paul's words to the Corinthians when he said this, But God chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those who are wise. God chose the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are strong. And God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to do away with the things that are, so that no one may boast before God. Think about David himself, the lowliest of his brothers, the youngest of the brothers, the runt of the litter, yet God exalted him to be king. God also chooses this location, though seemingly insignificant, to be the place of the birth of the Savior, to show that the power is not in man, but in God. If he was born in Jerusalem, perhaps the people would say, well, it's because of us and our excellent education system, and perhaps because of our great culture that we have here, that such an individual, a ruler, arose from amongst us. Perhaps it's that God chose this lowly place to show his power, to show that he is the one that is bringing forth this ruler. Yes, through such things, God shows his ability. His ability as he is going to bring this one, as he's called in our text, a ruler whose goings forth are from the beginning, from the days of eternity. The one whom Isaiah refers to as mighty God this Messiah and Savior, would come from this place. And God would make further, lowly, make further attention to the lowliness of his birth, even when he, where he is placed after he is born. If you were to go to Bethlehem today, the most significant sight there to see is probably the Church of the Nativity. And if you're walking to that church, there's usually a long line there of people waiting to see something. What are they waiting to see? Well, they're waiting to go underneath where the altar is in that church because underneath is supposedly the place, the precise location, the cave in which Jesus was born, or so tradition says. And what would you see if you went down there? Well, you'd see a marble slab, and on that marble slab, you would see a star made out of gold. But that's not the place. That is the description given to us in the Holy Scriptures where the child was laid, was it? It's a very different place, not a place of marble and gold, a place for royalty, but he was placed where? In a manger, in a feeding trough for animals. It's very interesting what the prophet Isaiah testifies in his very first chapter when he says this, the ox knows its owner and the donkey knows its owner's manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. It's interesting that the prophet Isaiah makes this connection to an ox and a donkey that they know where they are fed from. They know the feeding trough, the manger of their owner. And yet his own people have overlooked that and overlooked their God. And how easy it is to do the same for us, to, to seek our God in great and mighty and wondrous things but he comes really in lowliness, doesn't he? That he is born in this lowly place of Bethlehem as he's even placed in a manger, a feeding trough. And what an incredible symbol, a feeding trough. The one who's born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, comes to be the one to nourish and feed us as the bread of life himself. 
But all of this lowliness also makes plain who this child comes for. If he was born in a great palace, if he was born on marble or gold, perhaps we'd always wonder, is he for me? After all, I'm not royalty. After all, I don't have great riches. Is he actually my savior? But through his lowliness, we see that he comes for all people, including you and me, so that none of us might say that this savior isn't for me. As many times we can feel the rejection of the world. Rejection because maybe we don't have the power or the wealth or the notoriety or the fame or maybe we're embarrassed because of our background, where we come from or the things that we have done, we know our guilt. And yet God very much so wants us to know that the Savior comes for us. It isn't just for the elite, it isn't just for the good people, but it's for everyone. That he comes as a savior for all, whether high or low. Whether viewed as good and righteous in the eyes of the world or completely filled with sin and guilty because what we have done, this savior comes for you and for me. And he's born in all lowliness. And he will continue on that path of lowliness, doesn't he? Not just being born in the small town of Bethlehem, not just being placed in a manger, but as he continues that path throughout his life. And Isaiah describes all of this in his 53rd chapter. As he describes this great king, he had no attractiveness and no majesty. He was despised and rejected by men. A man who knew grief, who was well acquainted with suffering. Surely he was taking up our weaknesses and he was carrying our sufferings. It's through his rejection, through his lowliness, we can be reassured that he takes upon himself our own sinfulness, our own guilt. And Paul further confirms this when he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. As he is born in all lowliness, in order to be our king, our shepherd, our Savior, to bring us, we're not part of God's people, back into the family as Micah describes it in our text for today. To shepherd us and to bring us God's peace. Us who don't deserve it yet by his grace and love. He becomes one of us to take our place, to take our sin, to suffer and die for you and for me. What amazing details we can glean from the location of where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. It's interesting, though, if you were to ask someone today, what is the significance of Bethlehem? I'm certain that most everyone you'd meet could tell you, well, Bethlehem, isn't that the place that Jesus was born? Isn't it interesting that that very low place that would have been obscured to so many people 2,000 years ago now is one of the most famous locations in all of the world? You see, Christ, through his lowliness, has made the insignificant significant. And he has exalted the lowly. And he has done the same thing for you and for me, for us who are lowly, filled with sin and guilt. He has come to make us God's own dear children and heirs of eternal life, to exalt the lowly all by his grace. Let's may we put our trust and hope always in this child, comes for us as our Savior, 
born at Bethlehem. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. 